guys. Stacey Barnett with Sensibilities Nose Work, and I'm actually I'm on the road right now. Um, I just decided to do a little bit of a podcast. just want to talk about some things. Um, this is just meant to be educational in nature. Basically, um, I want to talk about a few things that maybe might be new to you, or it could be um, that you already know it, in which case, you know, please feel free to pass it on. Um, I just really, you know, I want to get some of the some of this information out there, and hopefully it'll be helpful for some people. Um, I want to talk a little bit about odor hygiene, and I want to talk about residual versus lingering odor, because um, I think there there's sometimes some misconceptions, um, and 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 if we we think about this in terms of uh, impact to the dog and the dog's training, that that's always an important thing to do as well. Um, first of all, let's let's kind of think about this from right to left, right? So, if we want to think about, we want to create this incredible search dog. Right. We want we want a dog that's just going to go out there and and they're going to kill it. Right. They're, they're just going to go. They're going to find find odor. They're going to latch onto that scent cone. They're going to drive to source and and then indicate or communicate in, in any way that, that they that, that they happen to do or that that they're have been reinforced to do. They're going to indicate at that odor and then they get their reward. Right. So that's ideal. We want them to do that in a very fast manner in a very efficient, a very effective manner. We want them to be able to do it in a lot of different environments, a lot of different situations um, with all of their target odors um, and and just, you know, and at the same time, have them be happy and confident um, while they're doing it. So that's kind of the ideal, right? So that's what we're working towards. And how we train is really important on our way to get there. Uh, a part of how we train is consistency. Okay, so we really need to make sure that we're being consistent. This is not new to. This is not um, specific to uh, to scent work or to nose work. It's 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 not it's not specific to that. It's it's actually it's dog training, right? We want to be consistent. If you're consistent, you're going to get a consistent result, and that goes for you know, teaching your dog sits, down, stays, healing, whatever. If you're consistent, you're going to get a consistent result. So that's what we want to try to do. So we want to try to build consistency with our dogs. Now, here's the thing with uh, with nose work. Um, the way we educate dogs is really through odor. Odor is what educates dogs. Now, we can think about ourselves as trainers. We can think, oh, yeah, I train my dog to do nose work. Um well, actually, when you train a dog to do nose work, really what you're doing is you are um, basically communicating to the dog that this is your target odor. And if you find this and you get to, you know, source, I'm going to call it source, um, you're going to get a reward. And this becomes uh, kind of this pact, right, that, that, you, that you develop with your dog. So now this is what you're communicating to your dog. Now, what training entails after the initial imprint stage is really about using high placement and positioning the target odor or the scent aids in such a way that it crafts the nose work dog, that it, it hones the dog's natural capabilities. And we do that through setting hides in different types of situations, different types of configurations. Um, we, we train the dog by using the odor and we use high placement. That's really what, what training is in nose work. 
Um, and a really talented trainer can do that in such a way that it, it enhances the dog to the, the, in, in the greatest way possible. Okay. And, and that's really, really what nose work training is. So what we need to be able to do is we need to be very consistent, especially in the beginning stages of nose work. Because at the very beginning, if you think about it, your reinforcement history for a dog that's maybe been doing, let's say, nose work for a year, maybe two years even, um, at that point, the dogs are still green, right? They're still green when they've only done it for a couple of years. So the reinforcement history, therefore, is shorter, regardless of how talented the dog is or how, um, uh, how you know, even what titles the dog has, right? The reinforcement history just is technically shorter than a dog that's been doing this for four, five, six years or what have you. So what you're going to find is, is that the impact of what you do for a dog with a shorter reinforcement history is going to have a farther reaching impact what you do. So, so how you handle odor, how you set hides, it's going to have a very strong impact on a dog with shorter reinforcement history because every hide that you set or every hide that the dog encounters, and we'll talk about that in a minute, every hide that you set or the dog encounters educates the dog and it communicates to the dog about what the dog's priorities should be. Okay. And that's really, honestly, that's what odor obedience is. So I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit, but odor obedience is all about prioritization. That's all it is. It's just the priority of the dog. Is the dog's priority finding target odor? Okay. Um, so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So if we think about our reinforcement history and we, we want to build this really strong nose work dog, um, what we're doing is we're creating a lot of reinforcement history. And that reinforcement history is kind of encoded into the dog's brain. And, and it helps to reinforce our prioritization, especially if we do it the right way. So now what happens if, um, if our, the way we're setting hides or the way that the dog is encountering odor is a little haphazard? What happens in the early part of the dog's training, if this occurs, is that if you're haphazard in your handling of odor and you're haphazard in the dog's encountering the odor, you're going to find more incons inconsistency in your dog's response to odor. And inconsistency in the dog's response to odor will result eventually in things like missed hides or false alerts. And those are the things that we're trying to avoid. Okay, and the, the other thing that I didn't mention um, that, that, that is actually important, um, you can just kind of put this on a shelf somewhere. Um, you need to make sure that you're training with varying strengths of odor because especially, so let's pretend like you only do AKC scent work. If you only do AKC scent work and you're always preparing your Q-tips with two drops of oil on a single Q-tip and you're always training in that way, what's going to happen is that your dog's going to make inferences in terms of the strength of odor and you could actually think, you know, your dog could draw conclusions. Because our dogs pattern very, very easily. They pattern extraordinarily easily. They're going to only assume that um, that odor is um, alertable. I guess that's not really a word, but alertable, or that that they should alert or indicate on a hide at a certain uh, at a certain concentration. 
However, uh, we really want the dog to respond to both faint odor and strong odor. Um, this will help the dog to be a much a stronger dog. And they will, um, they'll actually be more effective, especially down the line, even if you're doing AKC and you're, you are using a single strength odor, down the line when the dog is working things like inaccessibles where you might have fainter odor. Um, the other thing is that it will actually decrease your potential for fringe alerts because the dog isn't looking for a specific concentration. The dog is just trying to drive to a stronger and stronger concentration. Um, so it's very, very important. So you can just put that on the shelf, um, you know, that just make sure you, you train varying strengths of odor. So it is important that your dog respond to both faint odor and strong odor. Okay. And odor is odor, you know, that it doesn't matter how old it is. It's, it's, it's odor, right? Cause it comes out of a jar or a bottle. Um, so, so again, so from a training perspective, we want to have consistency in, in how we, in, in making sure that the um, the dog understands. Okay, they encounter odor. They uh, you know they they source the odor. They communicate. They get the reward. That becomes a behavior chain that becomes very predictable to the dog. Predictable behavior chains will also help to reduce um, anxiety. Um, it will build confidence. Predictability builds confidence, uh, clarity. Um, it builds motivation, right? Because confidence and motivation go together. You can't separate one from the other. Um, if you build confidence, you will build motivation. So let's talk about how you can build that consistency, right? Building that consistency is really important. And a big part, especially in the first couple years that you're doing um, nose work. Now, now, of course, this is still important later on. Um, odor hygiene. I want to talk a little bit about odor hygiene. Um, now, granted, you know, yes, I am definitely guilty of, you know, having hides in my pockets at a seminar and I'll place hides and then we work those hides. However, I do have to say when I'm teaching a seminar and I do that, yeah, I might have hides in my pockets after I remove them because you always want to remove your hides when you're done. Um, I do keep them in a container in my pocket. It's in a container. And that container goes far away from the search area when we're actually doing the search. So the dogs aren't actually searching with me as, as a, a potential um, scent cone because uh, I, I definitely do not want to become my own scent cone, um, even though I'm sure my shorts or my pants at that point really kind of smell very birchy. Um, and I have actually had a dog alert on me once. Um, when I, when I did have a hide in my pocket, cause I was talking and I had a hide in my pocket and the dog alerted on me. The dog wasn't, wasn't incorrect. And luckily the, uh, the handler gave, gave the dog a cookie. It was kind of funny actually. So yeah, so I'm guilty of occasionally putting hides in my pockets, but it is not what you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I can tell you absolutely when I judge, I am so serious about odor hygiene because the last thing you want is to go in, pay your money, your $25 a run or whatever it is. Pay your, your hard-earned money, your travel time, your, your expenses, your dog's reinforcement history. You don't want to sacrifice that on a dirty search area, right, or a dirty hide or something like that. So I am extraordinarily um, pristine when it comes to odor when I, when I, when I judge. Um, however, when we train, especially with those new dogs, it's very important, very, very important to have good odor hygiene. And what I mean by odor hygiene is careful handling of odor. You want to really think about, and, and let's talk about what essential oil is 
um, very briefly, because I think it, it is something that it's not, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a chemical engineering background, so I kind of like that chemistry background. I'm kind of, um, it's kind of ingrained in me to be careful with substances that I'm handling. Um, and I think, you know, if you don't have that kind of background, sometimes it, you know, you're, you may not realize like how, um, the properties of essential oil and how it differs from things like water, right? And sometimes people think, oh, well, we'll just clean it with a little vinegar. And, you know, I hear that sometimes too. Um, vinegar, it doesn't actually remove oil. So that, that I just want to put that right out there. Vinegar does not remove oil. Vinegar is actually an aversive. Um, and it, it will, it just turns your dog off. Okay. So it doesn't actually remove the odor. So that's a little bit of a misnomer out there. And I just want to point that out. So let's talk about odor hygiene. When you're training, um, your Q-tips need to always be in a Q-tip vessel. You never, ever, ever want to put, oh, 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 we'll back up. Okay. Essential oil. Sorry. Sorry. I'm bouncing around a little bit. I am driving. Um, although I'm doing this hands-free, so. Um, so it's totally legal. Um, essential oil. Um, if you've ever touched um, car oil, like the oil that that or ever get that on your hands, like anything that you know you're um, you know that you're putting in your car or something like that, and it's kind of greasy, right? Well, essential oil is the same thing. Or if you maybe if you're cooking, right, and you get um, you know I'm, I'm a big olive oil fan. I love olive oil. I'm even a member of the olive oil of the month club telling you I love olive oil. So olive oil, let's say you get a little bit on your countertop. You've got maybe these nice countertops. You get a little bit of olive oil on that. How hard is it to get that olive oil off? It's kind of tough. It's got a similar consistency to essential oil, right? Because essential oil is not just fragrance. It is oil, right? It's got that greasy feel. It's because it's a lot of it has to do with the viscosity and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but it's also a um, it's also a substance that has a um, because of its vapor pressure, it's really easy for those uh, scent molecules to be released into the air. And that's really what your dog is looking for. Essential oil is made to be smelled. It's made to have an odor. That's the whole purpose of an essential oil. We have essential oils mostly for humans, right? Because we have very weak noses. We can't really, I mean, I can go into um, a room. Sometimes people say, oh, I smell anise. I don't smell a thing. I've got a really, really poor sense of smell. So, but essential oil is made for even my nose to detect. So if you think about that and you think about our dog's nose, I think the last I heard was 100,000 times better than ours, right? So if you have a dog with with this very, very keen sense of smell, keeping in mind, Dogs can actually sniff out cancer. They can smell that essential oil like crazy. I mean, it, it, it'll just basically hit them over, the, hit, the, hit them upside the head. You know, they're 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 smelling that essential oil, right? So they're 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 smelling that essential oil. It is really really easy for them to scent. So and it's very viscous. It's very um, it's very easy to get on on to surfaces and not be able to get it off. So that's a reason why, you know, we talk a lot about making sure that your Q-tips are always in a Q-tip vessel, meaning a straw, a tin, a heat shrink tube, um, a lip balm container, anything like that. It's so important to have the, your Q-tip in a vessel because what we want to do is we want to minimize the transfer of that oil onto the surface of, of wherever you're setting it. 
right? Because as soon as you take that Q-tip, and I don't care how little oil is actually in that Q-tip, you know, how you made those, those Q-tips, if that Q-tip is 10 years old, trust me, 10 years old, it still has oil on it, okay? That oil, if you touch that Q-tip to a surface, that surface now smells like the Q-tip because your dog can smell things like cancer, right? It is very obvious to them, right? And that's that location, not only will that location smell like birch, that location that you now touched that, that unprotected Q-tip to the surface, we call this residual odor, by the way, that location now creates its own scent cone. Just because it doesn't, you know, so scent cones don't have to come off of Q-tips, right? They can also come off of residual odor. So if you have residual odor in the room, you also have a scent cone. So now think about, um, let's say you, you've taken that, that Q-tip and you, you moved it around a bunch of times. Now, all of a sudden, you have odor soup. And that's really what we want to try to avoid. We want to try to avoid odor soup as much as possible, especially in the beginning stages of the dog's education. So that's the reason why we always put the Q-tip in a vessel. Now, keep in mind that just because that Q-tip is in a vessel doesn't mean that there's no residual odor when you place that hide. It just means that we cut down on that residual odor. What you're going to find, even on the outside of tins, that you actually get um, that odor actually envelops that tin and adheres to that tin. Okay. And when it does that, you're going to get these little, I, I don't know the actual technical term, but, but you actually have oil, believe it or not, to, in a very, on a very molecular scale, at least on the outside of that tin. So it doesn't matter the fact that, you know, you've kept that Q-tip in, inside that tin or, or anything. If you put that tin somewhere, that is going to transfer that odor to that surface. So no matter what you do, you're always going to get residual. What we want to do is we want to minimize the amount of residual to the greatest degree possible. Okay. And there are a couple things that we can do to, um, to help to avoid having um, too much residual in the, in the area. First of all, always using a, um, a scent vessel is number one. Um, and by the way, guys, uh, you don't even need holes in your tins. I just want to throw that out there. Um, they actually, I mean, your dog's going to literally smell that, smell that oil on that Q-tip through a tin with no holes in it so that you can put that on the shelf somewhere. You know, that's, that's kind of one of those, those interesting things. Um, there, it, was, it was actually kind of neat. I was, um, uh, Ron Gaunt used to talk about how um, the, the tins used to, um, they had never intended to put holes. And I, I just remember I went to a seminar once with him and and he, um, and he was telling us how he only put holes in it the one time because he wanted to do a water hide. And, and, that, and he put holes in it so that the tin would sink. And then everybody started putting holes in all the tins. So it is kind of, kind of a, a funny, little, funny little side story. Um, but no, your, your dogs literally don't even need the holes, which is kind of neat. So getting back to odor hygiene. So there are definitely a few things that you can do in order to make sure that you're maintaining odor hygiene. One of them, of course, is always using a Q-tip vessel. Another one is, um, if at all possible, using gloves. Okay, even when, um, when I'm teaching a seminar, I usually try to use a glove. Sometimes I don't, um, but it really depends. If I don't, it's because of um, the, if we have a ton of available search areas in, um, and, and I'm teaching a seminar and we literally don't have to reuse anything, 
um, you may not you may not see me use a glove for um, for for placing seminar hides. But even if I if I don't use a glove, you're actually not going to be seeing me touch very much with with my with a hand that that touched a tin. Um, I am very very careful with that. Um, if I find that I'm going to be teaching a seminar and we've got minimum like a minimal amount of search areas available to us, you will see me have a glove on, and and I will use that glove, and I'll probably use you know and I'll use gloves throughout the entire weekend. Um, because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to minimize the the point at which dogs hit on residual odor. That's just something that that we want to try to do because what it does is if we can minimize residual odor, we can minimize frustration in our dogs because honestly. From a, a molecular perspective, dogs really don't know the difference between residual and source. Because here's the thing, guys. Residual is source. It's a type of source. It's just a fainter source than, um, than, your, uh, than, than your tin. Um, and, and, you know, we want to, we just want to be careful. We want to minimize the dog's exposure to residual odor, but residual odor really is source. Um, so just, just kind of keep that in mind. Lingering odor is something very different. Lingering odor is actually more the cloud of odor or the scent cone that is left over when you remove a hide. It's not, residual odor is the odor that actually adheres to the surface. So residual odor and lingering odor are two very different things. I often hear um, those two terms be used interchangeably, and they are absolutely not interchangeable. Uh, residual odor is transferred odor. Residual odor is the cloud of odor that is left behind when you remove a hide. So, um, so we want to minimize residual odor. So we can use gloves. We can absolutely use gloves. The other thing that we can do if we are searching, let's say, because um, a lot of times, you know, we, we do have to search at home. I do a lot of searches at home. Um, what I will try to do is I will try to um, be very judicious in where I place my hides. If I'm going to be using the room, um, you know, pretty recently after that, what I'm probably going to do, I might remove an object that I have that I have the hide on, especially for a new dog. For, you know, for the more experienced dogs, it's not as much of a big deal, um, but you really, and, and you know, they, 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 they are smart. They do kind of figure it out, um, but you want to retain, especially in the beginning, you really, and I, I'm talking the first couple of years of the dog's training, you want to retain that dog's understanding of target odor is source, right? And always go to target odor. Um, you really, really want to retain that. So, so what you want to do is you want to minimize the residual odor. You know, you want to use gloves. You want to think about your hide placement um, when you're, if you're placing hides in an area where, uh, where you might be reusing the area. This is very important, by the way, if you guys teach classes, um, you really want to think about that. You want to minimize that footprint. Um, one thing that I sometimes do is, um, is I'll try to use and again, if you have the option, if you've got metal objects, that's really great too, because then you can you can use actually the magnet in there, uh, which by the way, guys, quake hold. Quake hold um, is something that we use to adhere the, usually like straws and, and, and that sort of thing into, um, onto a, a surface that's not metal, that's not like magnetic, right? Or not, not metal, so we can't put a, a, a magnet on it. Um, quake hold, by the way, guys, is like a sponge for odor. It's, a, it's like an odor sponge. So quite cold is going to absorb all of this odor 
And now you've put that quake hold in that environment. Well, guess what? You have just transferred a lot of residual odor. So if you are going to be doing um, a lot of hides in a lot in a, in a, in a small area, and you're going to be reusing that area frequently, one thing you can do is minimize the use of quake hold. So that's another thing that you can do. Um, always, 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 always pick up your hides when you're done. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you have to do to get that hide. You got to get that hide out of there. Um, it's just, I, I had someone actually, uh, they, they were, uh, I, I was teaching a lesson actually, um, a, a private lesson at, at one point, somebody had, you know, basically, uh, you know, somebody from across the other side of the country had come out and, and I was giving them a lesson and I had set up this really, really cool search and, in, and it's in a public area and her dog alerts. And I say, no, and she goes, there's a hide here. It wasn't my hide. Somebody had left the hide, probably on accident, but they'd left the hide there. And what I did is I picked it up and I took it because um, you, we, you know, there, there's a finite amount of really cool search areas out there, especially with the growth of this sport. So many people doing this sport, um, you're going to find a ton of people out there uh, practicing and your, your, um, your actions will impact people down the line. They will impact people. If you leave hides in a store, you never know. If somebody is, um, you know, let's say you're doing searches in a, in a, in a dog-friendly store like a Tractor Supply or a Home Depot or a Lowe's or something, and you leave a hide there, what's going to happen is somebody else who might be doing scent work and may not be working their dog at that moment is going to come in and potentially encounter a hide. Now, the thing is, you might be saying, yeah, but, you know, stimulus control, blah, 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 blah. You know, I didn't ask the dog to search. Well, that might be, you know, the way you like to train it, which, by the way, I, I you know, my dogs do understand when I ask them to search. They don't actively search when they're when they're not being told to search. But if they do encounter odor, they do encounter a tin, I can guarantee my dogs are going to alert on it. And they're going to because I've developed odor obedience. It's actually a side effect of really good odor obedience. Um, I remember um, I was taking my puppy. Um, no, she's a puppy. She's, she's two years old in a couple of days. Um, I was taking her um, to, she was, she was at a trial. It was, it was up in um, uh, Massachusetts, I think. And she was only 10 months old. It was a big, big trial in conjunction with, with a big, uh, big cluster um, like a, like a confirmation trial. And, um, and she was only 10 months old at the time. So very, very green, you know, I was running her in novice classes and some advanced classes. Now, now Brava has been trialing since she's six months old. I, which by the way, uh, just as an aside, again, you can put this one on a shelf. I don't recommend that for most dogs. Um, she, she kind of came out of the womb, a very serious dog and, and she's really, um, really confident, really motivated just in general. Um, so normally I wouldn't be saying, take your, take your 10 month old dog to, uh, to a big, to a big trial. Um, however, she, she's a little bit of a different situation. So anyway, I have my 10 month old dog and I have her out there. There's a little small area where you can, you know, very, very small area where, where the dogs can go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden she is, she's doing these head sweeps up the side of the building. She's an odor. I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. Right. We're so far away from, you know, we're, we're over where she's going to the bathroom. And all of a sudden she alerts. There is a tin. Oh, I, I was livid. Let me tell you, there was a tin on a light 
on the ground. And very clear as day, right there. What did I do? Luckily, I had cookies on me. I paid her because you know what? She worked for it. She found it. She sourced it, right? But I was pretty livid. Um, Somebody was out there and was practicing. So, which might have been fine for them, but they left the hide. And my puppy, with a very short reinforcement history, found the tin. Now, luckily, I had food on me and I could reward it. Otherwise, I would have just taken away from my dog's odor obedience bank. Because you know what? You have a bank and you're always adding to that bank, that odor obedience bank. That would have been a withdrawal from my dog's odor obedience bank. And I actually would have been kind of irritated. So luckily, I had food and I paid her. And I promptly went inside and, and told the, the, you know, the, the chair. By the time we came back out, somebody had removed the hide. Um, so I never knew who actually did it. Um, but keep in mind, by the way, if you're listening to this and you go, oh my God, that was my hide. Think about this. That hide was also upwind of the exterior search area. So unbeknownst to whoever was practicing, that scent cone was actually getting into somebody's exterior search area. Not cool, right? That's definitely not cool. We don't want to do that. So you always, so going back to that odor hygiene, you always, 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 always pick up your hides. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you've got a, you know, if basically if you place the hide, make sure you can get that hide out before you place it. It's so easy to accidentally place a hide and then lose it. Right. Um, and you know, and it can happen. It can happen. And sometimes, sometimes accidents happen. Right. But you really want to make, um, all effort to make sure that you can get that hide out before you place the hide. Now, if I go to a seminar, you know, that sort of thing, um, I usually have a pair of hemostats on me. Um, I, I have a little, like, a, like an odor kit. I get it from a canine nose work source from Jane Nadelson. I love her stuff, by the way. Um, just a little quick plug for her. Um, you're welcome, Jane. <laughs> so there's a little, like, a little hide placement kit that she sells, and it's got a pair of hemostats in it. It's got some gloves, basically, and it's in a little plastic case. It's really, really great to have. So I always have a pair of hemostats on me. Hemostats are basically, they're kind of like scissors, but they can pinch onto something. And it's a way to kind of get in and pull things out that you might be able to get to with your, with your fingers. Um, the other thing that you can do is um, a retractable, like a magnetic wand um, that, can, that can also help you get, um, get hides that have gone astray um, that, that you need to get, get back. So these are definitely some things that you can do uh, from an odor hygiene perspective. Um, that will help your dog and minimize the impact that you might have on other people's dogs as you train. Now, there's always the question, um, people always say, okay, so, that, so that's kind of the first, the first piece of it. The second piece of it, um, and, and I saw this a little bit on, um, on Facebook a little bit, and I just want to mention this. I know a lot of times, you know, we, we get kind of scroogish or kind of stingy with our, our Q-tips. Like, oh my gosh, I made those Q-tips, right? And you feel the need to keep, to save those Q-tips. We don't need to save those Q-tips. Okay, once you're done with a Q-tip, now I'm not saying done with a day. I'm saying done, done, right? So let's pretend that you no longer want to keep that Q-tip in that tin. Well, once you do that, um, you want to get rid of that Q-tip. You don't want to keep that Q-tip, Okay. Um, you don't want to put the last thing you ever want to do is to put that Q-tip back in your source jar. And I think the source jar is your jar with your scented Q-tips 
because when that Q-tip is out in the environment, it's in your tin, I don't care where it is, it is absorbing odor from the environment. You don't know, I mean, if you're doing a vehicle hide, you could be absorbing the, um, the smell of a vehicle on that. You could be absorbing uh, like exhaust even, you, anything, any kind of um, oil, like car oil. You could be absorbing um, saliva from your dog. You know, let's say your dog gets a little too close to the tin. We don't necessarily want the tin in the dog's mouth, but let's say you have a tin retriever, right? And, and, and they, they peel tins and they hand them to you. Well, now you have saliva on that, on that Q-tip. Or let's say you did something and you dropped the Q-tip, you dropped the, the tin or you dropped the straw. Now you have dirt on it or maybe groundwater or maybe, so you, you think about all these contaminants, everything that's in the environment has the potential for then transferring odor onto your Q-tip, which at, now at this point, you are now going to, if you reuse that, that Q-tip, um, you know, you put that back in your source jar you take that, that Q-tip, you put that back in your source jar. Now your whole source jar smells like a conglomeration of the environment plus the essential oil. And oh, by the way, you're going to be imprinting those, those odors on your dog. And, and that's something that we want to avoid doing. So whenever you make new hides, always use new Q-tips, meaning Q-tips that have not been used before. Um, it doesn't mean that, that you have to use brand new Q-tips that you just made, but uh, but Q-tips have never been used before, never been in the environment. That's what you want to do. Um, now, something that I do, I don't necessarily take the Q-tips out of my tins um, in between my hides um, or in between the, you know, when, when I train. I'll have like a, like an extra container, um, you know, little like dive containers are really great, great for this because they're, 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 well, they're kind of airtight, but we'll talk about plastic in a minute. Um, you can you can take those tins or you know little some some kind of little container, um, put those tins that still contain those Q-tips. You can put those as made hides in your um, uh, in a container, and those made hides you can reuse those right. But keep in mind, you know as soon as you put that all those tins together, you are now transferring odor between those, and you will have residual odor on your tins. If you have a feeling like you really want to take those Q-tips out which is absolutely fine. Make sure you take them out and you put them in a separate jar or a separate type of container. Don't reintroduce those Q-tips back into your source jar. If you take those Q-tips out, you can put them back in the tins. That's probably a very um, hygienic way of doing things. Um, that would definitely work. Um, now, the other thing to keep in mind, because then people always ask me, oh my goodness, is your birch tin, you know, do you keep that in with your clove tin and all that? And the answer is, yeah, I do kind of, but you know what, once you, you do put those together, you do end up with a little bit of a cocktail, um, but at the same time, odor is odor. Um, essential oils, all, although they smell different, um, there, there is definitely a commonality between them all. So, um, so you definitely do not want to reintroduce those Q-tips into your source jars. And if you do that, um, your, your dog will really thank you from, uh, from a training perspective. So I want you to think about doing that. I think that that will really help, um, keep your, uh, oh, and the Q-tips, which by the way, uh, especially birch will change the properties of plastic. So if you have plastic hide vessels, plastic Q-tip vessels, you, you don't want to use those for an extended period of time because the, especially birch oil will actually interact with it, with the plastic. 
Speaking of plastic, not just birch, plastic absorbs odor. So if you have a plastic case that you're keeping all your tins in, I guarantee you that case smells really good to your dog. So even if you have like one of these, quote, airtight um, plastic containers, they're not all that airtight, let me tell you. You might not be able to get water in it, but that odor is going to permeate the plastic. Plastic absorbs odor like crazy, okay? It just really, really does. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And that's also the reason why if you, and I know I'm going a lot of, off on a lot of tangents, but there's a whole lot of information I want to get out there. If you put a Q-tip in a plastic straw, plastic straws are a fine Q-tip vessel, the dog is not just getting odor from the end that is open, okay? This is kind of kind of neat. Well, kind of neat, kind of, kind of scary. Um, they're not just getting odor from the end that is open. They're getting odor from the entire plastic straw because that straw absorbs odor like crazy. As a matter of fact, you could seal off both sides of that Q-tip, uh, both sides of that straw, the dog is still going to be able to smell it. Okay, dogs have a phenomenal sense of smell. So then think about that. Think about that when you do your residual. You place that straw somewhere, that straw is going to transfer residual odor. So I want you guys to keep that in mind. Um, what else? What else? So we talked about consistency. We talked about making sure that, um, you know, that, 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 that you're, you're practicing odor hygiene. Odor hygiene is huge from a consistency perspective. Um, you know, I could, I could get into a lot of different topics, but I think we've probably covered probably most of what I want to talk about. Um, you know, oh, here's the other thing, guys, 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 guys. Okay. Before, before I leave, um, where you store your hides is very important when you're not using them. Please don't store them on your dog's crate, on your dog's kennel, in the same room with your dog. Um, if you have, have a hide container, um, I usually try to, if my tins are in a container, I try not to just leave that loose in my car. Um, I try to put that in another container, right? I'm actually, I'm, I'm driving down the highway right now. I'm on my way to, uh, to Georgia and yeah, you know, I'm on the road for like a month. Sure. I have, I have odor with me, but I can, I can tell you one thing I've got odor in glass jars. Glass does not absorb odor. Um, I do have my odor kit. My odor kit is actually in my cooler. So I put the whole odor kit in my cooler that's sitting next to me because I figure, all right, then I have two layers of protection. And I don't necessarily want my dog sitting here for eight hours in the car smelling birch because then they're smelling birch and they're not getting rewarded for it. And the value of that odor is going to go down. Every time your dog is exposed to odor that he doesn't get paid for, what you're doing is you're, you're withdrawing out of your odor obedience bank. Okay. You're withdrawing from that. Um, so you really want to be careful and cognizant of when your dog is exposed to odor. Well, I know there was a comment about, um, you know, we do, which I guess is going to be a topic of a different podcast, but, you know, training your dogs to not return to found hides. That is not a, um, I just want to clear one thing up a little bit. That's not a result of the dog learning to ignore odor. That's the, the result of the dog understanding that a hide is out of play because it's already been rewarded. It's very, very different. And, and I'm going to probably do a podcast later on in terms of um, how do you know? When, when do you start 
not be rewarding hides. Um, and uh, the, the answer to that is going to be different depending upon your dog's reinforcement history. Everything, by the way, guys, is reinforcement history. Reinforcement history is super, super important in all dog sports, not just nose work. So anyway, um, I am going to let you guys go. And, uh, and hopefully this has been really helpful. Um, and I'll get this uploaded into my podcast thingy, um, as soon as I can. Um, but, uh, but hopefully, hopefully this, this has been really helpful for you guys. Um, I think we've been going on for quite some time, but again, there was a whole lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, again, this is Stacy Barnett with Sensibilities Nose Work. Um, you can find me on sensibilitiesnw.com. That's S-C-E-N-T-S, Abilities nw.com um and uh, you can find me there and i would love to hear from you guys all right talk to you later bye-bye